Peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is the presence of a person in the middle of your problems. It's not what you're going through. It's who's going through it with you. How many of you need more peace in your life? You've been given a promise of peace. One of the names of God in the Bible is Jehovah Shalom. The word Jehovah meaning God and the word Shalom meaning peace. And he says, I am your peace. And then he would say all through the New Testament, peace be with you. And all the writers of the, his disciples, as they wrote the scriptures, they would say, grace and peace to you. Peace is the expected life of the believer. Jesus said himself, he says, my peace I give to you. The peace I give to you is not like the world gives. It's not the kind of peace where everything has to go your way. If you're waiting for things to go the way that you want them to go to have peace, you'll be waiting for a very long time. Peace is greater than the circumstances. When things don't go the way that you want, when stuff doesn't happen the way you want, when you run out, when there's not enough, uh, we lose our peace. But there is peace that passes understanding. There is a gift of peace that God wants to give you. And if he says, I am peace, and I want to give you a gift of peace that you can't earn and you can't work for, I just want to give it to you, the question is today is then why don't I have peace? Why do I live so stressed out? Why am I so worried and frustrated and angry all the time? The Apostle Paul is going to speak directly to some principles and give us a promise today that's going to be life-changing for many of you. And I direct you to the fourth chapter of Philippians. We're going to read together. Listen to this. From prison, in the middle of his problem, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which is what you're after, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So brothers and sisters, listen, whatever is true and whatever is noble and whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard or you saw in the way I lived my life, put that into practice and the God of peace will be with you. What a promise. You put these principles into practice today, the promise of God's word to you is that the God of peace will be with you. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll touch every person now. Speak through me and do more than what I could do myself. And I pray that every person will be changed by your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Whatever you learned or received or heard or, or saw played out in my life, do these things and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace, the one who is peace, the one who walks through you in the middle of every circumstance. You walk with God and he walks with you. The whole sermon can be summed up in one statement today. And write this down because this is the big idea. Limitless peace comes when you order your life according to God's word. Write it this way. Limitless peace comes when I order my life, when I structure my life, when I order my life according to God's will. You put into practice the principles that Paul talks about here in this little passage of scripture, 
He says, what I've taught, what I've modeled you, the God of peace will be with you. And I think it's so strategic. I think it's so critical to the times that we live in right now. Paul is writing from Rome. He's in jail, and he's writing to uh, the Philippians, a group of people who are in economic difficulty. There is a financial disaster going on in that entire region of the world. And Paul himself is not just in prison. He's in a first century prison, and he is the one writing, and he says, rejoice. And I say to you again, rejoice. He's talking about an attitude. He's not saying rejoice. See, there's a difference between enjoying something and rejoicing in something. You don't have to enjoy the problem. But he says, in your problem, don't thank God for the problem, but rejoice that he is in the problem with you. In spite of the circumstances, because of what you know, you can have a good attitude in the middle of difficulty. Don't rejoice for the pressure. He says, rejoice in the pressure. Don't thank God for the situation, but thank God because of the situation. Like, God, I don't understand this, I don't like it, but I know that you're working this out for my good. And so I trust you. This is what Paul wrote to the uh, Thessalonican church when he said this. He said, uh, give thanks in everything, for this is the will of God concerning you. Give thanks in everything. Not for everything give thanks, but in everything give thanks. So this is about an attitude that you can have. Why don't I have this attitude? Well, with the next verse, he goes on to say, let your gentleness be known to everyone. And I don't understand that. What does that mean? Well, if you look at a few other passages of Scripture, and you look at this in context, King James says, let your moderation be known to everyone. And suddenly I begin to understand what this means. Let your balance, let your moderation be known to everyone. And he's talking to us about extremism. And how quickly we go to extremes. That's how we live our lives. We're either in this part of the world where, hey, there are no problems. I don't want to think about anything. And I try to stay busy. And I stay frantic. And I fill my life with all kinds of stuff and duties and activities. Even maybe good things. But I don't want to think about anything. Stick my head in the sand. And then on the other side is the extreme of every wild worst case scenario I can imagine. And I think about that and I assign a percentage of risk to it. And... He's saying, there's no way to live. You want to get into the, back into the middle. You want to get into balance. And you need to get to a place, do whatever you have to do to come back there. That means to get some space. That means every once in a while, you get a life. Every once in a while, you stop running. You stop serving. You, you put up a sign that says, uh, closed for the rest of the day. You, 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 stop, you stop trying to be God for everybody else. I don't know what it is about us, but we think that if things aren't going the way that we want them to, we amp up our activity and we get even more busy trying to control everyone and everything. And we're going to extremes. And so he says, if you want to have a good attitude, there's got to be some space and some margin in your personal life to recreate and to get your attitude back. You know, attitude, uh, attitude is all about rest. When I'm tired, when I'm empty, when I'm spent, I have a terrible attitude. So it's good. You can't help people if you're dead. I mean, if you're at the end of yourself, how are you going to help anyone? So put up a sign and don't answer the phone and go get some space. That's why on Friday, if you call this office, it's like a ghost town around here because the staff is not here because they're supposed to rest and recreate and get their attitude back. That's what I need to do. That's what I do on Monday. Monday, most of Monday, I just try to become a Christian again. That's really... I mean, I'm a Christian, but, you know, that attitude of a Christian, because when you're tired, 
I don't know if you're like me, but you ever had that where you know you're a Christian, but you don't have the attitude of a Christian about anything? And so the reason why that's gone is because you get tired. And so you've got to do whatever you have to do to get back to balance. Go to the zoo. Go fish. If you don't eat the fish, look at it, smile at it, talk to it, throw it back in. Do whatever you have to do to find some kind of balance where you get to that point where you remember, oh, there is a God. Uh, that's where the attitude's all about. Because we forget. We think it's all up to us. And so the purpose of taking time and coming back to moderation is getting to a point where you go, oh, there is a God. That's why he says, let your gentleness, your moderation, your balance be known to everyone. God is near. Oh, well, he was near all the time. He was always there. I just forgot about him. I just never saw him. I just got so caught up with the worrying or caught up with trying to ignore everything. And so he says, you've got to come back and think soberly. And remember, God is near. When God is near and you connect with him again, then he says, verse 5, do not be anxious about anything, but instead pray about everything. Let your prayers come to him with prayer and with supplication. In other words, let let your worries uh, start shaping themselves into prayer. It's amazing what happens when you do that and how he says, if you will pray, if you will just tell God what you're worried about and ask for his help, and then he says, with thanksgiving, with a grateful heart. You know, when you get slow down and you get quiet again, you can let that gratitude go all the way up to the top. You can fill, you can get to the top of your mood elevator once again and be thankful about something. Every one of us in this room can be thankful for something. Stop praying for the food. I don't know where that came from. Do you know that's not even in the Bible? Let's pray for the food. Who said that? Where'd that come from? That's not in the Bible. You know what it says? Give thanks. Jesus broke bread and he gave thanks. So stop and use the rhythm even of your daily meal to stop and say, I need to stop for a minute and get my head back. There is a God and I'm thankful for him. That's the whole point of praying for the food, even though you don't pray for the food. Are you understanding what I'm saying? You want to th have this thankful heart. So with thanksgiving, let the worries start shaping themselves into prayers. Talk to God. Tell him what you need. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, his peace, comes and settles you down. It is amazing what the Spirit of God does when he displaces worry from the center of your life. He says this, the peace of God, which is what you're after, which surpasses all understanding. Why? Well, you don't know the future, but you know who holds the future. You don't know how it's all going to work out. It didn't go your way, but you know what? Maybe that's okay. Maybe you've got a better plan for me. You see, peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's such a good scripture. That means that when I get my head back and my attitude's right, I realize that the problem's, he's guarding me. That means that the problem has to go through Jesus to get to me. That means the enemy has to go through Jesus to get to me. Am I helping anybody this morning? So rejoice. I want to rejoice. How do I do that? Get some space. Get some balance back. Get back to moderation. Do something to get some rest and realize there is a God and start thanking him and just tell him what you need. Bring your request to him. And before you know it, a sense of God's presence comes, settles you down, and the peace of God that passes. See, see, it's not the absence of problems. It's the presence of a person. That is the answer to worry. That's why there is limitless peace. Now, Paul says, now, you're in a spot where you can think. So think about the right things. 
think about whatever's good and true. Think about true stuff. Not all the lies, not all the blood-sucking gossip, you know, uh, or, or don't, don't try to just shut down and just escape or there are no problems or I just don't want to think about it. And don't play out all the wild worst-case scenarios. Just, just come to a place before God and think about whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's noble, whatever's excellent, whatever's worthy of praise. That's why this is so strategic, because you know what he says? I'm going to give you some things to think about. And he just starts giving some examples from his own life. Look what he says in verse 10. He says, for example, I rejoiced greatly while I was in prison. I chose an attitude of thanksgiving in spite of my circumstances. And you know what I focused on? I focused on the fact that you gave a gift to bless me. Now, he goes on to say uh, in, verse, uh, 11, in verse 10, he said, I know that you lacked opportunity before, and I know it wasn't that you didn't care, but I'm so grateful when I did receive your gift. See, they were under economic pressure. They didn't have the resources to give. They even wanted to help Paul before. And Paul's saying, look, I know your heart. I know what you wanted to do, and you couldn't until now. But I just want to tell you how grateful I am that you met that need in my life. I found something to focus on. That's why this is so strategic. The, how many of you know there, there is a financial crisis going on in our nation right now? And it's producing a low-level grade of anxiety for every person in this room, along with every person in our country. And we're all like, yeah. you know, I'm glad they've worked that out. You know, like five days ago, they decided to open up the government after 16 days. And we're all, at first, you know, the first thing is, woo, I'm glad that's done. I mean, they turned the panda cam back on. That's good, and I'm happy. And, you know, and we kind of have this illusion, this moment of it. Then we think about it a little bit, and we're going like, okay, so what actually happened? And they, they just, you know, the debt ceiling, the debt ceiling, we can't borrow to pay the bills. So what they did was they just took it away. I mean, there is no debt ceiling until February the 7th. So, 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 oh, well, that's good. Well, now we can just borrow whatever we want and pay whatever we need to pay or do what we need to do until February the 7th. So, okay, we're good. <laughs> how many of you, that makes you feel better? No. I mean, how, there, I am, you and me, we're, we're anxious about the financial situation. Now, no raising of hands. How many of you are anxious about your financial situation? And it's a little low-grade thing that you just carry around with you all day long. And Paul's saying, that's right, because I'm going to zero in. He says, we're talking generically about peace. But he's going to say, I want to talk about the source of the real issue in our lives, which has to do with financial peace and the money and how all the arguments mostly in our life have to do some way with money. And how that's, what, that's the drama with our spouse and with our, in our families. And what's going on, you know, the pressure we feel has to do with money. And your whole world revolves around that. Your job. I mean, you get up and go to work every day for money. I mean, don't tell me, well, I love my job. Yeah, but if they didn't pay you, you wouldn't go. <laughs> because, you, you know... I, I, I go and do my job. I love it, and I love all of you, but I like to eat, and I like a roof over my head, and I want it to be warm in the winter. I want to send my kids to college, and we have obligations. And so money, it's the center part of our life, and it's the thing we worry about the most when we can't control it. And we don't feel like there's enough, and somebody's taking, and, we, and the financial pressure and the lack of peace. And so, so Paul says, I want you to think about the right things I've got some principles I want to teach you, and if you do these things, the God of peace will be with you. And let me tell you this example and bring it right to where you live. And he brings it right to where we live right now. 
He says, uh, not that I speak in regard to need, he says. I mean, you gave to me and you helped me and I thought of that and it made me really encouraged. But I don't write this because I had some need. He said this, I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. And that is the first principle to write down that he says, if you'll do this, this is one of the pathways to peace. Number one, learn the secret of financial contentment. Learn how to be content. That's what's going to lead you to peace. If there's any drama in your life at all, it's because you're not content. What is contentment? Contentment is this. I have everything I need right now to be happy. Listen, that's all contentment is. It's you realizing and standing there going, I have right now what I need to be happy. And for most people, that statement is not true. What, what I need to be happy is more. I need something else. I need, when I get to this level, when I get this thing, when I get the truck, when I get this opportunity, when I get to this level, then I'll be happy. And if your happiness and your peace is based on more, it's a moving target, and you'll never get there, and you'll never have peace. If you don't have contentment now, you're not going to have contentment later. How do I get contentment now? You know, in preparation for this, I read through uh, moneymagazine.com's website where it talks about uh, they surveyed people at uh, the median income level in America, $44,000 a year. I don't even know how people make it. But people at 44000 and they're asking, well, what would it take for you to get to, to, to financial peace? And you know, what the, you know what the answer was? 75000 If I could just get to $75,000 a year. <laughs> Most of you are going like, well, that wouldn't work. That's where we're at, and I have no peace. <laughs> and uh, the people at 75000 they surveyed them. You know what they said? They need $150,000. See, it's about double wherever you are at right now is what it's going to take for you to have peace. And then the, the higher the numbers went, the greater the scale of what it would take because now you got more stuff and more things to manage. So if you're at $250,000 a year of income, you know what rich, you know what, what contentment, you know what peace feels like to you? $5 million. Yeah, it's a moving target. And it just gets bigger and it gets farther away. I'm telling you, if you think that you don't have what you need right now for your present happiness, you will never get there and you'll never be at peace. So Paul says, you've got to learn contentment. And notice the word learn, because nobody has that to begin with. We, we don't have, we have to learn that. Nobody has that. No person has contentment. When you were a little kid, you wanted more. I mean, and you go back to the beginning of all time. I mean, the first people in the Bible... They're literally in paradise. I mean, they don't have to work. It's, it's paradise. It's perfect. No, no jobs, no traffic jams, no mother-in-law issues, nothing. I mean, there, it's paradise. And the enemy comes along and says, yeah, but you know what? If you really want to be happier, you should get this one thing more that you don't have right now. And see, he comes today with the same lie to you. And he's saying, you know, I know you think you're happy, but if you had that extra set of golf clubs... If you had that extra power tool, if you had that trip, if you had that, uh, that you know, what is it women want? I don't even know. Jewelry. Jewelry. There you go. Whatever it is. If I just had that, I'd be happy. It's a moving target. 
Listen to what, listen to what uh, Paul says. I've learned in whatever state I'm in to be content. He is in prison with limited resources saying, I'm grateful for the stuff you sent me, but you know what? I didn't like, I'm not saying that because I needed it. You see, big difference. You don't need everything <laughs> that you think you need for your happiness. It is a state, peace is a state of mind. You don't, I mean, you don't need stuff to make you happy. You think you need it, but you don't need that to make you happy. I'm not against you having nice things. I'm not a, I like nice things too, but can you afford it? That's the question. Contentment has to be learned. And so we fall for this same lie when we don't believe God has given me everything I need right now for my present happiness. So learn how to be content. You know where that starts? Thanksgiving. It starts with you actually really looking at what's in your hands now and actually saying, wow, you know what? I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the house that I have. I'm grateful for the car that I drive. I'm grateful for the two cars that I have. I mean, you start thinking about your lives, and compared to, to, to where, where, where I've been in different parts of the world, and I mean, we are rich. I mean, we, have, we are blessed people, and we should, all people, be the happiest people in the world. And yet it seems like the more we have, and the people we watch on TV for our entertainment who have the most are the least happy in the world. So, so I want to be thankful. God, you know, I told my 17-year-old daughter, I'm telling her, you're 17 and you have a car. You should be thankful. I mean, teenager, if you have a car, you are like one of the richest people in the whole world. And I don't even care what kind of car it is. My daughter has a hoopty. I mean, it is, and some of you don't even know what that means. My African-American brothers and sisters know that a hoopty, you feel me? We, we know what a hoopty is. My daughter's 1996 Honda Civic with the paint that's all chipped. and that's, <laughs> that's a, But you know what it's got? It's got four wheels. And it takes one tank of gas for the whole month. Thank you, Jesus, for that car. I'm grateful for that car. That's exactly right. And she's going, she loves little Zippy. That's what she calls it because that's her car. You have a car at 17. So we ought to be thankful. And you know what he says, when you have that thankful heart, you can rejoice, and you can start bringing the real request to the Lord. I'm telling you, that's what God loves. Now, here's the second point that Paul brings up. He says, learn how to be content, and here's the second thing. And I don't know why we're surprised by this. In fact, I was embarrassed to write this on the screen because I thought, this is going to be so obvious and dumb that, that, well, they just put it up ahead of me. Learn how to be content. The second one was this, um, expect seasons of financial cycling. Expect seasons of, of good and bad. Like, I don't know why we don't think this. I, I think we think, like, we have an income now, and it's just going to be like that forever. Like, it's just going to get better and better. And yet, th if you've lived at all for any length of time, and teenagers, listen to me, that, that there are times when it's awesome, and there are times when it's not so good. There are times when there's seasons of sowing and seasons of reaping. There's times when the sun is shining and times when the sun's not shining. There's summer and winter. I mean, there's seasons, and there are financial seasons in life. So it is foolish to obligate every dollar that you have in a season of prosperity, knowing that there will eventually come a season of lack. 
There are cycles to money. It comes and it goes, and that's what produces the pressure in our lives. It's like suddenly, like, God, why did you do this to me? And I'm like, well, it's the cycle. It happens. Lower your expectations a little bit. This is what happens. Some of you, you had the job for a while, then you didn't have the job for a while, and then you got another job. It's just the way life is. It's inevitable. Look what Paul says in verse 12. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in plenty or in want. I know how to, how to be content with a little, and I know how to be content with a lot. So people go out and they buy stuff, and they live right up to the edge of the, actually, they live beyond that, because the same survey from 2013, Money Magazine says that uh, the average American is living on 118% of their income right now, because we have credit. So what he's saying is here, you got a plan for peace, okay? The principles of peace, the God of peace will be with you. You plan for peace by making good decisions while the sun is shining, knowing a season will come, uh, where it won't shine so much. And so what he's talking about is, here's the principle. you got to pick a percentage of your income and live on it, and then actually live on it. I mean, pick a percentage of your income. Don't think that you can live up to the 100. I mean, you don't now. The government has already solved that for you. They've said, you're not going to live on 100%. We're going to take a percentage. So you live on less than 100% now. Why wouldn't it be better than getting to the end of the month and wondering where it all went for you just to say, I'm going to pick a percentage and live on that. And what that's going to create is margin for you. And you get to choose that. And you get to choose how much buffer and how much margin that you're going to have. I mean, you know, it's basic math. And that's why I was kind of embarrassed to put it up because I'm thinking, well, certainly we, I mean, we should know that, right? But Christians, I mean, I hear stuff from Christians all the time because Christians don't do math. They've got faith. They say things like, well, God's going to make a way somehow. <laughs> Listen, hope is not a strategy. Don't, don't say that. Like, you know, I'm just going to claim the things that are not as though they, no. You know, you don't want to say that scripture. That's not what it's about. So you have to have, you've got to have a strategy to say, I'm going to spend less than what I make. I'm going to have margin. And, well, that's not fun. <laughs> Listen, you want peace or not? You're going to have to do some things that nobody in our culture is doing if you want to have financial peace. And so how do I do that, Darren? What are some ways that I can start creating margin? Because right now it's, it's all being spent. Listen, <laughs> listen, when you get serious about this, you can make all kinds of margin, every person in this room. First of all, you've heard me say this before, black shoes go with everything. So you just need like, you know, what, I, did I offend you there? I just mean that if you have, like, you know, you just need one or two pairs of shoes. I'm not saying you can't have, like, all the colors to color coordinate. I'm just saying that if you, I mean, you could just simplify a little bit. Oh, come on. You can lighten up. I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, if you really wanted to not spend yourself into financial anxiety, you could just say, well, I'm going to simplify a little bit and, co and coordinate, you know. You, you could cut out subscriptions magazines, newspapers you don't read, TV shows, like the cable. Have you noticed? Every month, that's a different bill. I mean, it's a different number when it comes in, and it's frustrating. I'm trying to budget, and it comes in, and one month it's this, and then it keeps going, and I don't even watch any of that stuff. Listen, I'm not saying you can't get cable, because I want that for you if that's what you have the money for. But to, but to say, I don't have financial peace, 
Listen, the cable bill, think about this. Some people spend more money on HBO than G-O-D and then expect God help me get out of this situation. So, so think about that. If, you know, I'm talking about stuff that you don't, do you watch all that stuff that's on demand and all those B-movies that nobody cares about and it's just there in the five televisions and, well, I just need it because there's a TV there, you know? I'm just saying, if you get serious, there is a way for you to say, I'm going to create some margin in my life. Credit card debt. (laughs) The average American right now is carrying average across the United States uh, $15,433 of credit card debt, consumer debt. Average rate for a credit card right now, average, is 18%. So... That doesn't sound like, okay, I'm making the minimum payment. Listen to me. Listen to me. I, I pulled up our database here at the church. We have 3,000 families that are associated with Heartland Church, okay, on the database right now. And I just got thinking about that average, and I just kind of, like, did the math. Like, okay, average of $15,000, 3,000 people. Are you kidding me that... That, that the people associated with Heartland could have $45 million of consumer debt? And we're being crushed underneath that? And then I thought about that. Okay, well, at 18% average, that means like, like out of this community, $8 million a year going to bank interest? I mean, I, I, I think that makes God's heart sad. And I think about, I think about the, the sadness and, the, and how that's eating up from underneath our lives and taking away um, not only a peace from you, but the purpose of God that he has for us. What could we do together with $8 million a year that's not doing anything for you or anything good for anybody right now? So we got to get out of debt. We've got to dump dumb debt. We've got to say, God, you've, I need, I must, I cannot, I can no longer be, that, that is not acceptable. We can stay here no longer. So we say, okay, that's done, and we are moving over here to debt freedom. That day has to come. And when you get that serious and you say, okay, that is no longer where we're going to live, we need to move now to a new level, you'll do whatever it takes to get there. Now, now here's the beauty of this passage. There's a verse embedded that's the very next verse that you have heard your whole life and you quote, but it's never in context. You can make a Bible verse mean anything. So you know what the verse is? I can do all, what? 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 I can do all things through Christ. We know this and we say it all the time. Well, I can just do, well, what are all things? You can be content. You can, through the strength of Christ, be content, and you can live on margin, and you can get out of debt. That's exactly what he's talking about. You, he will give you the power to be able to do that. You should clap for that. That does not mean what we've applied it to all. It means literally. I'm not making this up. It's right here in the story. I can do all things. What is it? Well, I can be content. I can be happy right now with what God has given me. And I can live within my means and create margin and be financially free.